It's Monday, September 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, that's not who you think. It's actually Maria Gallagher. Good to see Hi. you. Nice to see you too. Thanks for being here. Um, it's another day, so therefore we have another SPAC. We are going to get to that. We're going to get to a retailer getting an upgrade, but we're going to start today with the social network. Instagram CEO Adam Masseri says that they are pausing a planned version of Instagram for kids under the age of 13. And I suppose technically that's true that they're pausing it, although they're still very much working on this. Um, they're just not releasing it now, um, I think in part because of the recent stories in the Wall Street Journal. And I think if they launched it now, they would not get the reception they want. But when you see this story, and we'll, we'll get to sort of the ripple effects for Facebook and therefore the stock, but when you saw this story, what went through your mind? Well, at first, uh, when just the idea of a social media for kids under 13, I think most people had the same reaction, which was that seems unnecessary and like there's a lot more negatives than there are positives. And it's it's interesting. So Facebook has been trying to claim that these findings from the Wall Street Journal series aren't telling the whole story and that on the whole, people more people say that Instagram and Facebook make them feel better or neutral about themselves. But this will back's obviously apparent. But some of the claims, just to refresh everyone's memories, 32% uh, of teen girls say that when they feel bad about their bodies, Instagram makes them feel worse. One in five teens say that Instagram makes them feel worse about themselves. 14% of boys in the U.S. say Instagram makes them feel worse about themselves. 40% uh, of teen boys experience negative social comparison. And it's uh, it's harrowing for lots of reasons, especially there are so many young people that spend their time on these apps, and it's, it's such a huge source of growth for both Facebook for Facebook. So over 40% of Instagram users are 22 and younger, 22 million teens log into Instagram each day. And so they see that as a growth driver. They're seeing that that's, you know, we can extend that, we can make that even younger. And these statistics, I just think the younger you are and you're using this app, the the harder it will be to have the wherewithal to not have the these types of impacts, these negative impacts that you're seeing. I think the younger users are, the more you see these negative impacts. I get why they're doing it. And I don't begrudge Facebook for looking at what they're offering right now and saying, well, if you need to be 13 years old to be on Instagram, let's see if we can get just a little bit younger. You know, not toddlers, at least not yet, but the, the 10 to 12 range. <coughs> but Facebook is a company and Instagram is a company. They make their money off of advertising. And one of the things that went through my mind when I was reading all this stuff was, if you are someone with a marketing budget, you have more choices in terms of where and how you can spend your money. Why in the world would you leap at this? Why would you, like, what is the upside to being one of the first advertisers on Instagram for kids? It would probably work. I feel like really? the, the, I just think that their advertising model, it's proven to be successful. We can kind of debate the, the ethics of it, but it is, it's good at getting people what they want. And they, I think they see, well, if we get them at 12 and we're a product that they can use for their whole lifetime, the earlier you can get them and, and the closer that point of contact could be with those kids, I think that it would be successful for the advertisers. I'm not saying that that means I think they should do it or I think it's ethical to do it, but I do think 
as a business, I could see the appeal of saying, oh, this is this wide user base. And Facebook is saying that part of the reason that they're thinking of starting this is that so many people on, on Instagram are younger than 13 and are just lying about being 13. And so they're trying to make it a space where you don't, you won't be lying about your age and you could have more parental restrictions. So it's supposed to be better for, uh, for these kids that are probably already going to be on it anyway. Uh, but I don't, I, I don't know the, uh, how true that is and if, if kids will still just use Instagram and still lie about their age or if they would even want to use a separate Instagram for kids. I feel like when you're 12 and 13, your whole personality is saying that you're not a kid and trying to convince your parents you're not a kid anymore. Uh, so I think that's also kind of interesting. I, w I would be curious if, if a lot of people would just be like, I'm just going to sign up for regular Instagram because I'm not a kid. Don't put me on the kid one. Last thing, and then we'll move on. People have uh, lost a lot of money betting against Facebook over the years, and people have um, been wrong many times in terms of a story comes out about Facebook and it looks really bad. The headline risk is there, but it doesn't materially affect the underlying business of Facebook. And to, to realize that, all you have to do is look at the performance of this stock over the past decade. All of that said, do you think this raises the bar in terms of how good this thing needs to be when they launch it? I mean, it really seems like if you're an advertiser, and I agree with you, the, the, what Facebook has done, the, the way they have delivered for advertisers is what has made them such a potent force in advertising. So I'm, I'm not betting against that. I guess I just looked at it more from the standpoint of why would you need to be the first advertiser when this thing launches? I'm I'm wondering if you think the bar is higher in terms of they really better nail like when they eventually launch this and they almost certainly will. Is the bar a little higher? I think that that's a fair claim. I would say it probably will be higher. And you're right. You know it. The I I hate to say the phrase too big to fail, right? Because obviously that's been proven to not be true in certain situations, but I do think that Facebook is a giant and there's a lot of cognitive dissonance from people who maybe will say, um, and I'll say this about myself, you know, I won't, I, I don't want to actively buy the stock, but I still use Instagram. I'm still a user on Instagram and I've bought things from targeted ads on Instagram. And so I think that it exists in this kind of cognitive dissonance zone in people's brains where they can say, I don't like this company and I don't like what they stand for, but it's convenient and all my friends are on it and there's lots of ands. And I think it falls into a similar you know, idea as Amazon where people say, I do want to shop small and local, but it's so much cheaper on Amazon or it's so much more convenient. So I might as well do it anyway. And you see these stocks, even though there might be some ethical questions continuing to do well. So I think that when they launch it, it will have to be a solid product. I think you'll, they'll have to do a lot of PR around it and how it's going to be safer and how it's going to be more private and how they're putting all of these roadblocks in place to help these kids. Uh, but I do think that it will probably launch and it will probably be pretty successful. Polestar is nearing a deal to go public via SPAC. Polestar is in the business of high performance electric cars and the deal reportedly would value Polestar at $21 billion. Uh, Interesting line of business to go in to say we're looking at Tesla and we think we can compete with them. Um, is is Polestar a stock you're going to be putting on your watch list? So I could talk a little bit about Polestar specifically and then kind of the bigger trends in EVs with SPAC. So Polestar has 
two models of EVs with very unoriginal and kind of not cool names, Polestar 1 and Polestar 2. Uh, they're currently on the road in Europe, North America, and Asia. Uh, they delivered 10,000 vehicles last year, and their growth expectations are that they are expecting to sell 290,000 vehicles per year by 2025. So going from 10,000 in 2020 to 290,000 in the next five years. Um, and so that's just the that growth is, I would say optimistic would be a generous term for that growth, those growth prospects. But I think it's also interesting. There's kind of this broader trend that's this back popularity within the EV market. So since 2020, there have been 15 EV startups that have gone public via SPACs since the, and so 14 out of 15 have seen stock price declines of over 10% and eight out of 15 have suffered declines of over 40%. Obviously an example that comes to everyone's mind is Nikola with the stock down about 80%. So only one in the past, in the past year that has debuted our best year and a half has increased their stock price. Uh, so just statistically, I don't know what that intense growth that's baked in and just the amount of these deals that has not really uh, generated profits the way investors thought they would. I don't know that that would be something that I would be interested in unless they have uh, proof that they can grow that way. They have um, an ability to do it. I do think it's interesting. They are backed by Volvo. So that could be interesting to see how they work with Volvo. Um, but I do think that it's a popular, a popular trend in the past year and a half to go public via SPAC if you are an EV manufacturer. I like to imagine that they got in a room and when they were doing their growth projections, they said, we're going to go from 10,000 to 300,000. And someone said, you know what, let's just dial it back a little bit. We're not going to 30x by 2025. We'll 29x. Yeah, like, that's more reasonable. If you yeah. put the three in front of it, that's too much. People will start to talk. 290, totally fine. And for context, Tesla last year did a little less than 500,000. So that's what they're saying their growth prospects are going to be in the next four years is uh, 200,000 less than Tesla. Shares of Best Buy up 5% today after the electronics retailer was listed as a top idea by the analysts at Piper Sandler. Uh, Sandler. Um, you know, upgrades and downgrades uh, interest me, not sort of on the surface although a lot of the attention they get is just on the surface to, you know, anytime I see an upgrade or a downgrade, I think, well, what's the why? Tell me the why this is being upgraded. And in this case, it's because Best Buy is about to roll out a new membership program called Best Buy Total Tech, $200 a year. And the tech team at Best Buy will, you know, the Geek Squad will support all the devices in your home. I don't know. On the surface, there seems like there is a genuine market opportunity here for them, in part because over the last five years in particular, Best Buy has done a really good job monetizing the Geek Squad. Yeah. So what's really fascinating about Best Buy is the Geek Squad, right? And so you have people who, uh, if you're buying something from Amazon, as an example, it comes to your home, you don't know what to do with it, you don't know how to set it up, I'm hopeless with things like that. And so I don't know if you've used Geek Squad, but Best Buy's Geek Squad, like they're so kind, they're so helpful. I think that monetizing that is really, really interesting. Um, I think, so they had a program in April called Best Buy Beta, that was a $200 a year membership, uh, $100.80 a year if you have a Best Buy gift card. Um, and so that had 
had all of these different perks associated with it, like free standard shipping, um, exclusive member pricing. And so I think that they're trusting out all of these different ways to be really integrated with people. And I think really uh, hammering home the geek squad aspect of all of these aspects is really, really smart for them. Um, and so I'd be interested to see how, how it goes and how many people think, you know what, geek squad is worth this. It also seems like the sort of program that, as we've seen with other businesses that have membership programs, they're probably not going to share a lot of details in terms of numbers for uh, the analyst community or for, for shareholders at the beginning. But if this starts to ramp up, if they start, you know, if they start to get literally millions of people uh, who are members of this program, you better believe Best Buy is going to be playing that up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how many people use it versus like go if you go into the store, have people come to your home, how it's going to be rolled out, where it's going to be rolled out in which states and how it's adopted in cities versus rural areas. I always think going into the into the weeds and those types of rollouts is really interesting. I'm like you. I'm, I'm, I have used the Geek Squad a number of times. They've been great. And it's whatever money I have paid them is totally worth it just for the peace of mind which is probably a big part of this program. It's just, you're just buying technical peace of mind. Yeah, and I think that's worth it. I think that it's the, that question of saying, if I just pay this lump sum right now, then will I feel better and just know, just having that knowledge that if something goes wrong, I have someone who can fix it, that I'm not gonna be on hold for six hours yelling at someone or calling all of my friends who might be technically savvy or having my mom call me and then have me call somebody. It's just, I think that the peace of mind, I think that you can't underestimate how much people will pay for that. Oh my God, I'd never thought of it until you just said it, but just the whole idea of the older generations as, technology gets more complicated. I mean, this could be this could be a thing that people buy their parents for Christmas. They're just like, That hey. was my first thought. <laughs> it's like, I could send it to my mom, just email it to her and say, I bought this for you. Merry Christmas for both of us, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maria Gallagher, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against you don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.